God, we give you praise. We ask that you would change us. Instead of change our circumstance or change our loved ones or change our enemies, we ask that you would change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. It is so awesome to be able to uh, pray with you guys, to know that we have no hope except prayer. We can't fix our lives. We can't fix our problems. We need God to step in and change things in our life. It was a Saturday morning. The long week of work in this small fishing village on the coast of Galilee was mercifully paused for 24 hours. This might have been a restful thing if it wasn't for the cultural phenomenon known as the Sabbath. And this day was actually the greatest burden for any life that lived in Galilee at this time. Instead of a joyful gathering of remembrance, God's faithfulness and everything God had done, this day had devolved into a rigorous, competitive display of work. Effort and pride were the marks of the Sabbath now and had been for a very long time. God watched all this from heaven. He saw the people, and and he reached out many times throughout the history of Israel to communicate his breaking heart. Like in Jeremiah 3, 1, where he says, if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's, May he return to her again? Would not that land be greatly polluted, God says? But you have played the harlot with many lovers, yet return to me, says the Lord. Do you hear his voice? Do you hear his heart when he speaks those things? His love for his bride, for his people, was so passionate, so passionate that he would accept her back even when she had played the harlot with many lovers, that he would draw her back, that he would wash her wounds, that he would love her at any cost. And through the thousands of years, this people this people of Israel had grown tired of the emptiness of all of their other lovers and the dirt that never washed away and the shame that that of their own unfaithfulness it just grated in their heart. And there was this strong movement among the people of Israel to come back to God at any cost. So they grabbed hold of the Sabbath day and said, this is, is, is going to be the way that we get back to God. The Sabbath took on a whole new life. The people who desired God would come and listen 
to churches called synagogues. But what they heard was not a message of God's love and freedom and grace. What did they hear? Rules. Rules. 613 rules plus hundreds more. Basically, whatever the the leader of the synagogue wanted to put out as a rule, he was able to just say, do this and it'll make God happy. Do this. That's what God's looking for. It's all they knew. It's all this country had was churches that taught rules. And yet it seemed that the more they studied his ways, the more empty they felt, the more rules they had, the further away from God they felt in their hearts. The more they tried to please God or say they were sorry, the deeper their sense of shame and unworthiness sank in the pits. But it's all anyone in this town had, this town of Capernaum. The message in the synagogue had been the same for a long time. Keep God's commandments. Do your best. Give more. Try harder. Because God is angry with us. We have been unfaithful. Even though there were hints of a Messiah, not many people thought he was real. Whispers of an unnamed hope from Bethlehem were hushed quickly by every authority. But the real problem in this city and in this synagogue that existed in this city was that even though those even those who thought they were authorities were actually slaves themselves. The teachers of the law were slaves to unrighteous living just like everybody else. They were all slaves. This entire city was enslaved. So who was really in charge of this place? This city that we have, but with our imagination, we have gone back in time and put ourselves in this city. Who is really in charge of this place? As long as Sabbath came and Sabbath went with the same message of works and pride, Satan was the real king here. His kingdom of darkness reigned, and no one could ever be delivered from his power. Until, dot, 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 our text, Mark chapter 1, verse 21. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having, what? Authority, and not as 
the scribes. Jesus doesn't waste any time. Okay? He goes right into Capernaum and he goes right into the synagogue to teach. Do you remember a couple weeks ago we talked about Jesus' job? That he took the job, he was hired as the contractor on LinkedIn to be the Messiah. And the job of the Messiah was to bring the kingdom of God, which we call the gospel. Do you remember that? And, and we quoted Isaiah 61, verse 1 through 3, and those are so important and vital for us to understand what Jesus' job was. And let me just refresh, just Isaiah 61, 1 for you. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Remember, Jesus was equipped by God to do this job, that's the Holy Spirit, because the Lord has anointed me, or hired me, as we studied, to preach good tidings to the poor. That's what he's doing today in Capernaum. He literally walks in the city, oh, my job is to go right into the synagogue and start preaching good tidings, which is another word for gospel, or good news, great things, to the poor. These poor people, they were supposed to have a day of rest every week. And it was a day of horrible burden. You can't walk more than a hundred steps or it's work and you go to hell. You can't go get a bag of milk. I don't know if they had bags, whatever, Canadian thing. Anyway, you can't, you can't, there was such a burden. You can't cook yourself a meal. You can't do this. You can't do that. The second half of that verse in Isaiah is going to be the second half of our sermon, which is this. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. We'll get to that in just a few minutes, and it's going to rock your face off. But Jesus comes in and he teaches, okay? He explains the word of God to people. Mark doesn't bother with telling us the whole sermon right now because, again, Mark is brilliant in sharing the big picture of what's going on here, which is Jesus is helping people to understand God's word, God's plan, God's kingdom, and how to apply it to their lives. He's just a great teacher. He comes in, and, and back in the day, many people taught in church. They didn't just have one pastor at each church. They just All kinds of people could step up and teach, but they all just gave their opinions, this is what God thinks, I think. This is what God means when he says this. This is what you need to do to please God. This is what you should give or give up. This is how you should live. They would say this, this, this. They're putting themselves up as kind of an authority, but not really. I, I'm not sure, but I think this is what God means. Mainly, they would just quote other rabbis who were quoting other rabbis, and it was just this big dance. But always, without fail, they taught nothing but rules. Always. Sometimes a prophet would come and he would actually speak God's heart. You know what they would do? Yeah, they'd cut his head off or stone him or kill him. Jesus walks right in and starts teaching them with truth and he taught them on the Sabbath. Look at the text. It says he comes in right on the Sabbath and he teaches them. Jesus wasn't bound by all the rules that the priests had laid on the people. Jesus does what is actually right to do on the Sabbath. Okay, this is crazy. Jesus comes in and teaches the people to rest in everything that God has provided for them. How cool is that? Instead of teaching the people all the stuff that they needed to do 
all the rules they needed to follow, Jesus comes in and says, no, it's all going to be done for you. I am going to do it all for you. What do you, do you, are you starting to see the shocking message that Jesus is bringing here? He's, he's saying, you know what's right to do on the Sabbath? You know what's good? Rest in what God has provided and maybe give some time investing in learning God's will, God's word, and God's heart, drawing near to God with relationship. Those are good things to do on the Sabbath. There's no rules, though. It's not a rule, he's saying. And isn't it fitting that Jesus illuminates who God is on the day designed for man to rest in God's provision? Remember God said, don't work on the Sabbath because I'll provide for you on the Sabbath. It wasn't their job. People weren't supposed to work harder in six days so that they could have a day off. They were supposed to have the day off so that a, day, a week of working was a blessing. And this day was also supposed to be a blessing. The Sabbath was designed to be restful, a celebration of all God's provision and grace. And it's no coincidence that Jesus walks in on the Sabbath and says, here I am, the one who's going to give you all God's provision, all God's grace. It's awesome. We're not given what Jesus taught on right here in Mark, but Mark brilliantly wants us to refer to what he's been telling us already, that the good news of the kingdom is what Jesus was bringing. His message was that he is the Messiah and he's here to fix everything and bring God's kingdom to earth. That's what Mark is saying. Just pay attention to that. That's what Jesus was talking about. And look how people responded to the teaching of Jesus. It says, and they were astonished at his teaching. They were amazed. What? There was something so different about the way that Jesus spoke and what he said that it left the hearers shocked and astonished. What was so unbelievable about Jesus' message and what he was bringing? He taught them, it says here, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. When the scribes taught, they gave laws, rules, right? Period. That's it. So people were used to every Saturday showing up at church. What's the rules you're going to give me this week? Ugh, Mom, Dad, why do we have to come? The Sabbath day had fallen from a blessing to a burden. Knowing God was all about knowing the rules. Not about his grace, the rules. What are you doing to make God mad? What'd you do today to make God mad? Did you make God mad today? You know what? If we became a church like that, we would grow. Lots of people would start coming because there's something inside us that's like, yeah, show me what rule I need to keep so that I can be a better person because I want to be a better person. But if we became a church like that, we would be heretics because that is not the gospel. It doesn't matter what you did to make God mad. God already got mad at Jesus for your stuff. What we need is to learn about God's grace, which we do. The religious leaders of that day were super committed to knowing every law and every interpretation of that law. So here comes Jesus walking in, speaking so a completely different message than anyone had ever heard. 
What was the authority? Why did they say it's a different authority? What was the authority that Jesus had? Why is that such a big deal? He really knew how to have a relationship with God. He really knew. You go to a TED Talk or a seminar to hear someone who's an authority on an issue speak. Well, Jesus is the supreme authority on how to be a human being that knows God and walks with God. Well, how can he? He just did it for 30 years. He just walked as the perfect human being for 30 years with God, in communion with God, doing exactly what all of us were supposed to do, but we all failed. Even though God loves us and and cares about us, we all walked away. Jesus didn't. He is the supreme authority on knowing God. He actually is God, which, ironic, but he's also living as a human being in full dependence and surrender and intimacy with God. He knows exactly what he's talking about. Jesus is ripping open his heart and exposing it to the world with every sermon as he's going in the book of Mark. He's showing us the way, the truth, and the life because he is the way, the truth, and the life. This is going to rock your world. This is what man was supposed to be. This is what we have fallen from. The perfect counterpart for God. The perfect love relationship for God. We were created to be his bride. He loves us like a husband loves a bride. But we messed that up a long time ago and Jesus demonstrates that he is the authority on how to be human the way God intended it to be. And people are like, whoa, what is Jesus talking, what is he talking about? This is crazy. Why is there so much violence and murder and hate and sin in the world? That's a good question. That truly is not the way God made it or intended this world to go. But we chose to invite all of this wickedness in when we rejected God and our role of love with God. We did this. Look around. We did this. We were supposed to be God's perfect servants filled with his heart and love for everybody. You don't murder people you love. We were supposed to be his beloved image of the invisible God on this visible earth. Loving everything, taking care of everybody. So, is God just done with us then? Is Jesus just here to show us how terrible we're doing at doing God's will? Not quite. Jesus does indeed show us the perfect life that man was supposed to live. But Jesus is also here to kick the hell out of this broken world. He is not just the authority on how to know God and live by grace, but he's also the supreme authority over all that has infected this world and our own lives as a result of our rebellious submission to Satan and his kingdom. We all chose to follow Satan, rebelling against God. Every single person has. And Jesus is about to take care of some business. Remember, 
the second half of Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, which said, He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So let's read the next part of our text, because it's crazy. Look what it says. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone! What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him and they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? And what doctrine is this? For with authority, he commands even unclean spirits and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout the region around Galilee. So let's break that down a little bit. There was an unclean spirit. Because this spirit had lost all of its purity, it always acts in direct opposition to the Holy Spirit of God. That's what demons are. They just will always act in direct opposition to what's holy, what's good, what's right. It can never do what's right. It can only rebel. It is an unclean spirit. His mission is to convince every person, every man that he can, that it's better to reject God than draw near to him. That's what demons do. That's their job. And he'll use any tactic necessary to deceive and convince a person to just stay away from God. That's what unclean spirits' job is. And look where he is. In their synagogue. Yup. In church. In their church is where Satan was hanging out. Keeping the people locked down with laws and rules that just kept them away from God. That's what was going on here. He was at home with a legalistic church. Those are my peeps. That's what Satan would say. Constantly reminding them of their failure and sin. Silencing every message of mercy and grace. Usually by killing the prophet that spoke about it, right? We talked about that. Look what this demon does. He cried out. This is a desperate attempt to distract anyone from listening to the message of truth and freedom Jesus was bringing. It would be like if I'm up here saying, Jesus loves you, and Norm stands up and says, you're all idiots. Thanks for the distraction, bro. Right? What does he cry? He says, leave us alone. Let us alone. These people don't need you. They don't even want you. They're fine with me and my performance-based religion. Let me die. Let them die with me and we'll both burn in hell. Leave us alone. Then he says, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Here, the demon tries to remind the people that that, that the Jesus they're listening to is from the trashy city of Nazareth. This demon is trying to sway the hearts of the people away from God. We don't need you, Jesus. In fact, these guys are so sinful, they have nothing to do with you. 
How can you look at them and feel anything but rage and disgust, disappointment, and reject them? That's what this demon is putting out, this idea. Jesus, you don't need them. They don't want you. This, this totally doesn't need to happen. Then he says here, did you come to destroy us? And that's what God will do with his enemies, right? I mean, that's true, right? This demon is presenting a version of the future without hope. This demon is saying, we know what's going to happen. We're going to be destroyed by you. So thanks for coming to rub our noses in it, Jesus. But he's presenting a version of the future without hope, without grace, without forgiveness, without the cross. This is why the cross in the gospel changes everything. This is why the cross destroys the works of Satan. This is his last-ditch effort or trick to deceive every person here and convince them that, that they're objects of God's wrath and not his love. Demons are smart. How many times have you been convinced that you're the object of God's wrath and not his love. That you couldn't come right into his presence because of your uncleanness. Jesus is about to do something that is going to forever rock you. This demon further goes on and says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Again, theologically accurate, but totally twisted for evil purposes. This demon is saying, Jesus, you're too holy. We are too crappy. There's net that we can never, we can never get along. I'm sorry. It's too much. These people are too wicked to be in your presence. They're mine because I'm wicked. And I know I'm going to hell, but I'm going to take them with me. And you can't do anything about it. It's true that Jesus is the lion of God, the, the king of righteousness, the perfect and holy God, the ruler of every nation and everywhere. Everyone is accounted as nothing before him. That's true. But Jesus is also the lamb of God, the bringer of the gospel, the one who is about to wipe away sin forever and destroy everything that ever stood between God and his beloved bride. That is who Jesus truly is. And that's the part this demon conveniently leaves out, or maybe this demon knew nothing about. This demon wanted to distract everyone again from the real purpose of Jesus being here in the synagogue, which was freedom. He wanted everyone to be loved, to know that they are loved by God and that God was going to take care of their filthy, disgusting sin once and for all through Jesus himself being crucified on the cross. Jesus has had just about enough. We're going to enter into kind of this story version again, okay? With rage and passion, like a, a husband whose wife has been deceived and brutally mistreated and kept prisoner, Jesus reveals the true authority that he possesses. But Jesus 
rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Jesus is saying, Demon, my bride will never be subject to your tricks again. My bride will never be told that she doesn't live up to my standards again. My bride will never be told that she needs to do something for me to love her. My bride will be set free this day. And you, demon, can go to hell. Indeed, I've created it just for you. You're welcome. That's what Jesus says here. If we read between the lines, that's his heart. Does that sound cool? My bride, Satan, has been subject to your cruelty for 4,000 years now. No more. Today, it ends. You can never touch this one again. Authority. That's true authority. Loving, compassionate, and serious authority. He says to this demon, be quiet, which is shut up. Why would Jesus say, shut up? He's saying, you don't know me. You don't know me. You don't know me. Don't talk like you know me. You just said all kinds of stuff. You just said all kinds of stuff to all these people, these people that I love, and you don't know me. You don't know what I'm saying. You don't know why I'm here. You don't know nothing. Shut your dirty mouth. Psalm 50 verse 16 says, But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth? Jesus says, Shut your mouth. You don't know me. Don't talk about, don't talk about me. Don't talk like you know me. You hear that on the streets, where I'm from, Greeley. Jesus says, you don't understand the purpose of the law. You're preaching like you know the law. You don't know nothing about the law. You don't know the power of the blood of the covenant I'm about to bring. You don't know the power. Yeah, it's true that they're separated from me because of their sin right now, but you don't know the power that I'm about to unleash. But I'll give you a taste of it right now. Be gone. Mm. I'm about to wake you up to what real power is, Jesus says. And the response of the demon, like the dramatic death of a bad guy in a Disney movie, screaming out in defeated terror, ah, melting, gasping for his pitiful life, he is defeated by the power and the authority of Jesus, not even more than a word needed to be spoken by Jesus, Jesus is completely victorious. 
And Jesus is starting a new business today. And this is the first dollar he hangs up on his, above his chair in his office. It's business time, he says. And I'm about to spread this business all around this region. And that's what happens. His fame started to spread all around. And his business of kicking demons out, beating the spiritual power that had held people in bondage forever, it was getting started right now. God's kingdom had come. And in God's kingdom, are you a slave or are you free? You are free. In God's kingdom, are you a disappointment or are you worthy because of the blood of Christ on you? And are you despised or are you loved? Amen. And all the people, it says, were meh. No, it says they were amazed. They were amazed. So they questioned among themselves, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority, he commands even unclean spirits and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread around. What is this? Is this a new doctrine? Or is this just the word of God finally being preached? I think it's just the word of God. The living word of God because Jesus is the word of God. God is finally being revealed to us in all of what he is. He is not just the rules, but he is the grace. He, he had, there are rules involved, but they are all destroyed and we are set free to live by his grace. This is the message of God for us. What Jesus is doing is a picture of what he's doing in our lives every day. You are set free. You are loved. This is God's message for us. You are loved and you are mine. And I can walk into your church and I can destroy the walls. And I can destroy the walls in your heart. And I will because you are mine and I freaking love you so much. And I'm never going to walk out on you and I'm never going to leave you to fight your own battles because you're my bride. Hebrews 4, 12 says, the word of God is living and powerful. And when you hear word of God, I want you to think of Jesus because he's the word, right? He's living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. He can cut out what's bad. He can take it out. He can kick it out with a word because he is the word. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom we must give account. Did you see how the author of Hebrews went from talking about the word to him? Like so seamlessly, there was no division because the word is him. They're the same thing. And the response of the people to this is they're just amazed. Not only did he really know God and talk to them like they could know God too, but Jesus was able to defeat the spiritual forces that they could never break free of. That's the summary of what we've learned in this scripture. And this was kind of a big deal. Jesus is kind of a big deal here. He has become an authority figure. So it's all they could talk about. They told everyone they could about it. When someone actually knows who God is and has actually been set free from slavery, this is what happens. Authority becomes the greatest thing in their life. I am free and I am loved because someone in authority says I am. 
and has made it real. So authority is actually a great thing. Hey man, I got a problem with authority. I don't like people telling me what to do all the time, them cops. I don't think you know what real authority is. And I'm actually really sorry. Because those are all... Every authority figure you've ever met is just a poor shadow of his reality. They're just shadows. They're not the real thing. Don't let their failures, all the authorities that have let you down, all the authorities that have not loved you, and all the authorities that have not provided for you, as they should have, because of what real authority does, love and provide. But no, all the ones that have let you down, don't let that shade you from what Jesus' authority really is. He is not them. All authority in this world has been perverted. Jesus' authority is what we just studied. He loves you, and there are no rules in his authority. He says, I love you, and I'm going to provide what you need. And then he says, I'm going to set you free also. From everything that has held you, you're free. I'm doing, that's what real authority is, guys. Don't let someone who doesn't know God and doesn't understand what authority affects whether you will know God. The only way you can know God is by seeing Jesus. He is God's word. He is God's image for us. He is the perfect image of God. And he's given himself for you so you can know who God is. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, taught, and and cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never, what? Knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Notice that the people who saw Jesus today in our story did not turn to him or follow him. They just talked about him. They were just shocked. But they didn't really follow him yet. As Christians, are we, do we see the authority of Jesus and believe in it and talk about it and then conveniently forget to actually follow him? How do I follow him? How do I surrender to his great authority? You have to actually pray. Pray. Come to him. Believing in him, yes. Casting all your hope on him, all your dreams on him, all your future and say, God, Jesus is showing me stuff I've never seen before. Jesus is something different. And, and if, if it's really true, it's shocking to me. But I want to know you in this way. I want to actually follow you. Ask God to shower you with his love and to set you free. Those are the two things we saw Jesus do here. It's not about rules, it's about love. And I'm going to set you free.
Ask God for those things. I'm going to leave you with a quote and we're done. Old Hallisby, some guy, I don't know, says, Prayer is the risen Jesus coming in with his resurrection power and giving, given free reign in our lives and then using his authority to enter any situation and change things. Okay, so we've learned today, authority is not a bad thing. It's a great thing. Because Jesus, in his authority, he will tell you, I love you and I'll set you free. That's what he does. So if you would like to engage, engage with that, receive, let Jesus in, all you have to do is pray. Say, Jesus, I would like to be loved. I would like to be set free. Would you do those things for me? And Jesus says, I will. Will you follow me? Will you follow me? Will you surrender, control Will you stop running away from me? I am the way, the truth, the life. Will you follow me? Or are you going to keep doing your own thing? I will love you. And I will set you free. I will do those things. The moment you ask, it's done. The moment you say in your heart, set me free and God, love me. You're free. And you are loved. but will we follow him? There are several people today that are making one of those choices. I'm going to follow Jesus. And that's why we do a baptism. It's been a long time since we've done one just because of whatever, but we're doing a baptism today and it is, it's not closed. If you want to say, I want to follow this loving, liberating Savior, today, you can make the decision. I want to follow. I want to publicly declare to everyone at Ellis Elementary on a Sunday and the whole people, all the people driving by and walking their dogs, I'm following Jesus. And I'm, we'll take pictures and you can send them to all your family. I'm following Jesus. That's what we do. That's the only hope I have. I got baptized in, when I was 12 and have been following him ever since. It's the best decision I've ever made. I've never felt more loved than following Jesus. And I've never been more set free than following Jesus. So anyone who wants to get baptized, we're going to do that. And uh, anyone who wants to follow Jesus and you've already been baptized, but you're like, man, I've been kind of doing my own thing, just come back to the Lord right now. So Jesus, you're my authority. I love you. I love you. I don't know. You better do it today, bro. Just kidding. We do have a bathtub in there. I didn't realize that we could do it. But there's like no way to watch. and eh, It's kind of hard. Anyway, would you all stand with me? We got worship and communion. And uh, as soon as we finish church, guys, we're just going to kind of mosey on to wherever um, food is. Uh, and I don't know where everything is. I'm not in charge after I say amen. Uh, you guys are all in charge with me. So let's pray. Father, we, um, we cannot stand before your truth and your love and not be moved. 
we cannot. We have to make a decision right now. Either we're for you and we're going to believe these things and receive them, or we're against you and we reject you and we're going to follow the demons and Satan that are leading us away from God. And Jesus, I pray that in this entire room, nobody would reject you, but we would all surrender our lives, that we would all ask you personally, grab onto you and say, Jesus, set me free. Jesus, what have I to do with you? Everything. You're my life. You are everything for me. I have no life outside of you. And I will not let go until you set me free. And Lord, there are no rules that I can follow that I could ever prove myself to you. I am completely broken and dirty. And I am unclean. But Jesus, I believe that you love me. And I believe that you are preaching good news to me today. I believe that you will never leave me or forsake me. I believe that I have somehow been chosen as your bride. That your commitment to me will never fail. Jesus, how I need you. I have sinned so much. And I need your blood to wash my sin away. I need you to transform me. But no matter what you do, and even if you never transform me, I will follow you. I will look to you. In the morning when I rise, I will tell you thank you. And I will seek your heart in the word of God. And I will believe it. When I go to bed, I will pray. I will ask for forgiveness. I will follow you. And during the time I'm awake, I will invest in relationships like you did. I will, I will pour into my relationship with my father. I will invest in my relationship with my church and with the world, showing this world that I truly love them like you did. God, we need you. I pray that you would renew our hearts help us to follow you. We have uh, communion available, so anyone who believes and is a Christ follower, even if you're just like, you want to follow Christ, and you come up and take communion, you can take his body, and you, the bread is just symbolic, and you're taking, saying, I believe that your body was broken for me, and the, the cup of juice, I believe that your spirit is given, poured into me, your new life poured into me. I believe it. Even though I don't understand how it works, I'm going to believe it and take a step of faith that I belong to you and I'm part of your family.